0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Good evening, and welcome to the Friday Twilight Show with me, Claire Cunnan. Thank you for joining me here on Teachers Talk Radio. This evening, I ask the question Sats, do we even need them? What are the arguments for and against them? And if we scrapped them, what could we have in their place?
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, and thank you again for joining me this evening on the Friday Twilight Show. Um, today I ask the question, SATs, do we even need them? Uh, I'm going to start by looking at why they were introduced in the first place and how they fitted in with the educational landscape at the time. Um, I wonder if anybody listening has any thoughts on this um, and if you were teaching when they were introduced um, or you know someone who was, it would be really interesting to hear from you. Now i am old um, or young enough depending on which way you look at it to remember taking sats in year two Um, and i also took them again in year six although they were quite a new thing um, at the time now i don't remember feeling any pressure from school um, in terms of those exams in terms of any revision Um, it was just something that you did it was just something that fitted into the school day the school week um they were quite a new thing. So I suppose people perhaps weren't um, pushing them as much as they are now. And perhaps they didn't have the same level of accountability and, and high stakes that some people feel that they do at the moment. Um, so I'm, I'm quite curious as to, to how we've got to a point where revision sessions, booster groups, or whatever they care to be called, um, are in so many schools now seen as the norm Um, And also in some schools, when it gets near to SATS exams time, there are extra sessions um, outside of school hours, um, whether that's after school, whether it's during lunch times, um, sometimes students being taken out for small groups or one-to-one sessions. So just really interested to see how we've got from the SATS being introduced and being pretty low-key, just part of the school day, to the point in time where they're actually seen as quite high stakes. Um, which made me start wondering, not just how have we got to this point, but why is it all necessary? And then and actually not for the first time, wonder whether they are necessary at all. And um, what purpose do the SATs serve today? Do they have a purpose in 2024? Um, Then I started wondering what would happen if we didn't have them. Um, And we actually do know to some extent because the years where COVID was um, impacting schools and impacting the way that students attended schools, um, SATs weren't weren't taken in those years. Um, So we know that there are other ways of assessing students and for secondary schools in particular, to find out about the students that will be arriving into year seven. Um, having worked in a secondary school myself, I know that they often use their own data. Um, CATS tests commonly used um, amongst others. Some of them use um, different forms of baselining throughout year seven to work out trajectories for sort of year eight and beyond. So just really interested, as I say, to think about why we have SATS Why have we kept SATs and actually do they serve a purpose in 2024? I'm really excited to be joined this evening by Sophie Bartlett, who is an experienced English subject lead um, and a class teacher of year five and six pupils. So hopefully she'll be able to join us after a quick break to hear from our sponsors.
2: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohnCatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
3: Introducing Eton X from Eton College. A diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities while the AI fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast changing world Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more Offer the Eton X curriculum in your school for free Visit eatonx.com to find out more
1: Okay Thank you to our sponsors there um, for their ongoing support of Teachers Talk Radio So back to SATS Um, And why do we have them? I'm just—I can see that um, Sophie is trying to join, which is brilliant. We hopefully to hear from her in a minute or so's time. Um, Just having a very quick think about why we have them in the first place. Um, They were introduced between 1991 and 1995, so quite a while ago. Um, And I mentioned before the adverts that I remember doing SATs myself at school, and I was one of the first. Cohorts um, to take them. Um, just doing a little bit of research into why they were even introduced at all, um, found an article on a website called satspapers.co.uk, and they said that the standard assessment tests, or standard attainment tests as they were sometimes known, were introduced following the 1988 Education Reform Act. Now, this, at the time, was dubbed the most controversial of education reforms. Um, The reason being that this act led directly to the establishment of the national curriculum in 1989. Um, Before that, there was a lot more free choice for schools to set their own curriculum. They weren't tied to doing things in a certain way or at a certain time, or covering specific content in the same way as, as the national curriculum, um, introduced. And this was the first time that there had been a compulsory curriculum for all state schools in England and Wales. And it also brought about the introduction of key stages. And um, interestingly, there was concern about SATs right from the beginning. Um, so the first SATs taken in May 1991 um, were actually taken, they were taken by children in year two, despite the fact that the NUT had been threatening to boycott the SATs and their reason being was that they saw them as unfair and unworkable Um, but the reason these SATs tests were introduced was that they're a way of measuring the impact of the new curriculum um, and to see how pupils in each school um, comparing basically comparing students in each school are they actually getting what they're supposed to from this new curriculum And are they learning the same thing? Are we getting the same education across the country? And these SATS exams were there so that civil servants, people in government, um, could analyse which schools were the best at teaching new curriculum, and also which schools required improvement or intervention. I'm sure you can appreciate there are some parallels there with the current offset model. they were also, um, the argument was also that they could help teachers to identify students that might need additional support. So we're measuring the curriculum, We're measuring the impact of a new way of working across the country and comparing how pupils that're all supposed to be learning the same thing um, to see if that actually is the case. Now this is a point I will come back to pick on later on because um, there are now many more variations in school setups across the country with academies with trusts with free schools and lots more freedom again to set um your own curriculum um i do think it's important just to note here though that whilst sats were being introduced and they were something new as humans we do have a bias to sort of resist change because doing what we know is safe um, and predictable so i wonder if part of the resistance to sats was just that human Um, sort of scepticism about things being different. Um, If you have any thoughts, I'd really love to hear from you. I'd love for you to text in um, and tell us what you think. I'm hoping now, Sophie, I can see you are there on my screen. I'm hoping you might be able to join us live. Sophie, can you join in and talk to us?
4: Hello, I I can hear you. Can you hear me? Am I coming across all right?
1: (laughs) Oh, you are coming through loud and clear. Thank you, Sophie. I'm really, really excited
4: to join you and to have you join me this evening and to talk to you. Um, Thanks, I'm, I'm weirdly I'm such a geek about SATs and I've had um, yeah. two of my friends over today who are both year six teachers at a different school and I was going through some of the things we might be talking about today with them just because we're all oh, teaching amazing. nerds so it's nice to get a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of a chat about it before I came uh, in with you. I
1: did a bit of a plug for Teachers Talk Radio as well. Yes <laughs> absolutely. And, gold star. <laughs> um, so Sophie could you just start by telling us a little bit of about yourself before we sort of head into SATs and what
4: they're all about yeah absolutely so I'm in my 11th year of teaching now um, I've actually always taught in upper key stage two so I think it probably would be good for me to go lower down at some point for my professional development but I'm very comfortable where I am which we know is dangerous um, and also there's that stigma of being in year six not many people want to do it so if you find someone that's happy to stay there quite often they stay there <laughs> yeah. um I've done year 6 now two different schools and been English lead or writing or reading because some schools split up um, across both of them yeah. um and I'm now actually working part-time which is a whole new world to experience <laughs> um because I've returned from maternity leave but I'm in a mixed year five and six class so it's a very different vibe my previous school I was just single year year six So trying to manage SATs with a mixed year five and six is um, is quite tricky, but has been really interesting. I've done it now for five years. Um, So, yeah, that's me.
1: Well, that must be quite a challenge having. I mean, any mixed year group is always a challenge, but particularly when you've got a year group that are due to take national exams.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's tricky anyway, just in terms of like differentiation, because we teach everything whole class, but it really made me take some focus that. i think in a good way because obviously half the class won't be taking won't be taking them but um i'm sure we'll cover that when we get to one of the, <laughs> one of the topics we're discussing
1: <laughs> well and that's interesting interesting you pick up on the fact that you know it's had potentially a positive impact that you've got some students in your class that are taking them but others who are not
5: yeah and
1: i wonder also for the ones who are not those year fives being exposed to that and seeing what goes on and how it works sort of a year earlier than perhaps they would so could you tell us perhaps a little bit more about how you feel the sats do impact your pupils
4: yeah i mean we try so i don't like to do sats papers um very much at all until we get closer to the time so i'll do one set um at the end of autumn term and the year fives will sit their own assessments so they're all doing assessments it doesn't really make the year sixes stand out um, yeah. And then we'll do another one sort of mid-year, but then closer to the time when we start doing some actual test technique practice, which I'm, I am feel obliged to do really, <laughs> I just get the year fives to because... Even though you know there are lots of negatives to do with Sats, but I think sometimes the Year Six is quite like that. They're top of the school, they're the oldest, and they've got these important exams, and the children sort of look up <laughs> to them. As, oh, the Year Six have got their Sats. You know, we must leave them alone. We must let them practice. And the Year Fives quite like to join in on that and be part of Year Six for a little bit. Um, so we don't take anything very seriously. So when we're doing our revision, it's you know fun and light-hearted. So we just say, well, Year Fives, you're going to be Year Sixes for the lesson today, and you're just going to join in with us. So where I can, I do separate them because I don't wanna to do too much with year five, um, but they do like joining in and we just, I just treat them as year sixes sometimes really, cause it, like you say, it can't hurt for them to have exposure to the following year whilst they're already in year five. Yeah.
1: And and that's a really, really interesting approach and probably not something that most schools get to do. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, cause you mentioned you've worked in other schools where that, you know, the year groups were completely separate. What, what do you see as being the differences in, in schools where they are taught as just year five, just year six?
4: Yeah, I think I found that SATs is way more of a focus in a, where the year groups are just single year groups because you can focus on it a lot more because there are no other distractions. Whereas in year five and six, well, in year five, you've got obviously a whole different curriculum to get through that you've got the whole year. You don't have to cram it all in before <laughs> May. You've got the luxury of the entire year to do so. Um, So that does kind of slow, well, I found with me, it slowed me down quite a lot. I've had to take my foot off the pedal a little bit. And actually you don't have to get the entire curriculum before May, as long as you get really common concepts in, things like in maths, you know, four operations and fractions, decimals, percentages. It doesn't matter if you don't get in a little bit of graphs before SATs, because you (laughs) have got months afterwards to cover that. Um, So yeah, I think it's made SATs less of a focus and it does take this whole, Know year six are the top of the school, and all the privileges they get sometimes some of the children get a little bit carried away with that. And we see, I've personally seen that in their behavior towards like the summer term of year six. Whereas I think when the classes mix together, it does lessen that a little. Okay,
1: so that's, that contrast is quite stark, then isn't it, between the two different settings?
4: Yes, that's what um, I
1: found. Yeah, well, I just wanted to pick up on something you mentioned right at the beginning because you said you've worked. Predominantly in upper key stage two, um, yeah. and you've not really done as much lower down. Yeah. And your your comment around not many want to teach year six. So I'm just wondering if we could explore that a little bit in terms of perhaps impact on on staff with this yeah.
4: year six. Um, I've just found kind of with friends that in year six as well, and my mum actually is. She retired a couple of years ago, but she'd been teaching for forty years, majority of which was in year six because again no no one could move her out (laughs) um and I just I think there is the stigma of SATs if you've not taught in that year it feels like a big thing because obviously the school is judged by it and Ofsted look at it and parents look at it and all of this um even though I do try and reiterate to anyone who's new to year six it is not all on you in fact it is one seventh on you if that because (laughs) you've got less than an academic year but it does feel very much like it's all on you because you're putting the cherry on the cake really aren't you um there's yeah there's this pressure of SATs and I do feel you do have to teach a bit differently because you do have to get ideally get through the curriculum quicker and so the way that you plan is slightly different Um, and also I tend to find people are worried about the behaviour in year six because they're the oldest they think it's going to be a lot worse when really they're still kids and they love a sticker year six love a sticker (laughs) still (laughs) so that's what I say to them just take some stickers and they they still like that they very much respond to very similar behaviour management as lower down the school, but you just adapt it slightly for them being a bit older. But yeah, it tends to be sats and behaviour I find to seem to put people off. Yeah.
1: And I, I love the fact that you said year six is still love a sticker. So oh, at, they do. I work with secondary school and year 11 still love a sticker. I'm
4: sure they do. I mean, I like a sticker still.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't a year 11? <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, parents there, and obviously, you know, schools are judged, Ofsted judge schools. Um, You mentioned about parents and sort of their impression of a school. Do you think SATs have an impact, or uh, you know, influence families as well?
4: Um, As in, do you mean like the results of SATs at that school, or just the children taking them? Either or, I'll let you go with that way you want. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I've had a very like differences in parents. So some will want you or ask are you going to be doing SATs groups to prepare their children for SATs and some are very much the opposite of they don't want them child their children to be doing extra practice which I personally am on the same side of I don't want to do any extra SATs prep you know I'm just going to do a math and English as every other year group and what we get done in that time we get done in that time yeah. um, but I think it depends um, as a school my the current school I'm in and it's the same ethos that I personally have we don't put loads of focus on SATs because it doesn't and this is what I try and reiterate to the children as well as the parents it doesn't matter to the children at all it's used to judge the school obviously it's used to set their targets in secondary school I understand that and lots of secondary schools initially might set them based on their SATs but actually to the child themselves you know it's not a big deal but I think them getting that number at the end of it however the school or the parents choose to share it with them where it's 99 or 100 you know they're not stupid they know what that number means and i think to some children it can mean a lot to get that magic 100 and therefore it means a lot to the parents especially if they're a family that puts a lot of onus on academic results um so yeah very much depends on how the school present the test but then i suppose as the families themselves what kind of importance they put on test results
1: yeah and and that's interesting isn't it because we talk a lot now about mental health we talk about well-being and if you've got some students who are sort of putting that pressure or families putting that pressure on getting that magic 100 Mm. um, you've potentially got some quite significant issues and we know that there are issues don't we around school avoidance and anxiety and all of those things yeah but i suppose sort of um Moving on from that, do you think there's any groups you know SEN, pupil premium, EAL? Are there any sort of perhaps disproportionately affected by having to take the Sats exams?
4: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I can't speak personally on the schools I've worked in haven't had a high proportion of EAL, but um, S the um, SEN, I think are particularly affected. Um, I have only in the past withdrawn maybe one or two children from the papers because I can't remember what the party line is, but if they can access the key stage two curriculum to some extent, they have to still sit the paper. So I've had children sit the papers and they might be able to answer one or two questions. And obviously you do the whole, you know, just tick a box. If it's a tick box question, just tick because <laughs> you might get the mark. But then they have to sit there for the hour or the 40 minutes or whatever it is not able to read it or not able to access it, just because that's something that we're putting 10 and 11 year olds through. Um, And then, of course, your teaching in the run up to that is probably going to be focused on preparing for the SATs paper, which is likely to be full of content that they're not ready for or they're not able to access. So, you know, you can and we do try obviously our best to differentiate. But when you've got such a focus and a deadline in front of you, it's going to be really hard to cater for all the needs in your class. especially those that aren't going to be able to access much of the paper so i do yeah it's it's i do feel really sad about that aspect of it
1: yeah i mean and my my background for the last sort of good eight nine years has been sort of working with students who have SEN in various forms and i can sort of really feel what you're saying there about feeling sad for them and we spend time differentiating for them and scaffolding and adapting in lessons and then you expect them to go and or you have to put them in front of this paper that they go and do. So I suppose that sort of leads quite nicely onto the next little section, which just wanted to see what your thoughts are on whether SATs still actually serve their original purpose of being able to compare pupils um, in terms of their progress and attainment at a
4: national level. Yeah, I feel very strongly no (laughs) about this. Um, And I actually tweeted something the other day from, um, a teaching poll and it was about Mm -hmm. Sats Boosters groups and how many people are doing them. I think it was about 50% of schools were doing them. And I tweeted something and I didn't word it very well. I said something like, this isn't an even playing field or level playing field. And quite (laughs) rightly, quite a few people said what you thought it was a level playing field anyway. I said, well, no, of course (laughs) not, but you know, and that's just the thing it's absolutely not a level playing field. You've got different types of families, different types of children, different size classes. You've got children um, or schools that might do purely maths and english and no other curriculum subjects from january or maybe even from september um or you've got schools that are doing lunchtime boosters and half term boosters and some families that are paying for tutors to get their children to pass the sats and other schools whose families either can't afford to do that or don't want to do that or aren't aware that they could do that and so (laughs) there's just so many different factors that influence it and i do think it tests such a narrow part of the curriculum that I don't think we could possibly compare pupils with that information Um, it's just it's just not fair and you might look at a SATS result that looks incredible and then you realize that actually their progress isn't very good or SATS results that look poor the attainment looks very poor but actually their progress is amazing they might have a really high percentage of SEN children and they they brought them on so far from key stage one but at the end of the day their attainment isn't going to be as good as some other children who are more capable so there's not really one part of me that thinks it's a good way of measuring progress <laughs> if that wasn't clear by, by what i just said <laughs>
1: no, uh, loud and clear and yeah. i think i i think i did see that tweet because i saw the replies about people saying did you think it was a level playing field like, yeah oh, nobody ever thought it was no uh, and yeah interesting sort of that you picked up that people have picked up on that sort of an almost gone with that more than your original question yeah actually that it's not a level playing field so was it ever um a useful or appropriate measure um and I guess I know your thoughts on it but what do you think was it ever a useful or appropriate measure to try and compare pupils nationally
4: it's hard isn't it because I guess if you're introducing something you want to (laughs) you want to test and measure that it's working and I'm not sure what would be much better um I think I don't like the fact that schools are held so accountable to the results and that they're published publicly and we're so judged on them because like we just discussed, there are so many factors that influence it. So I guess that is perhaps one way of measuring it, um, but it shouldn't have such a huge onus on it as it does at the minute. I think there should be lots of other things taken into account. Um, So I'm not sure if it ever did. I mean, when you were talking about you taking the SATs earlier, I think I was in year six in 2002 and I remember they had, the level six papers as well so I took yeah I remember those yeah, I took the level six maths one I think well, I can't remember if they even had English or what it was and they also had the writing didn't they yes as well yeah. um, so that's obviously changed and adapted so I think these could possibly change and adapt I mean I've seen discussions about whether they should bring a writing test back and that's probably a whole nother discussion <laughs> um, but your original question did it ever I'm I'm not sure I think there's there was a place for it perhaps but I'm not sure mm-hmm. anymore the way they've evolved I'm not sure how useful I personally think they are
1: and I think that's also quite a key point there is that, you know, that there is obviously evidence that the SATs have, have adapted, have evolved over time. Maybe we there wasn't science, then there was. And as you say, the writing paper, then it went away. Mm. Um, you know, if you think sort of lower down things like the phonics checks and all those that have, you know, weren't there, then they are. Mm. So there has obviously been efforts to keep them up to date. But I think, you know, reading around, there's a lot of thoughts that, you know, they haven't perhaps, usually the phrases they haven't kept pace with. But I wonder if sometimes it's just that they're on a slightly different trajectory. Yeah, um, actually, it's going on in the classroom. Yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna throw this open wide now and anyone else is listening that might want to chip in. Um, for absolutely sort of that phrase blue sky thinking, what would you do? Because you clearly are not keen on keeping Sat, mm-hmm. um What would you do if your curriculum didn't have to be focused on passing six sacks
4: what would you do instead i think my very first step would be to chop almost all of the grammar to be honest and this is coming from someone who's a massive grammar nerd (laughs) i love grammar i'm a grammar pedant i correct it all the time and i personally find it really interesting but unless it's grammar that's going to help the children with their writing like you know punctuation or sentence structure. I don't see any point in children learning the past progressive tense or like what it is um, or the subjunctive mood or anything like that. I think it's totally pointless personally, especially because even English secondary school teachers say they don't reference that kind of thing till much, like maybe even A-level English, I think someone said. It's just totally pointless in my opinion. So I'd cut that out. I would cut out some of the maths as well just to really secure the basics so that, again, I've spoken to secondary school maths teachers who said we just want them to have secured their times tables, their four operations, and we've got a really good basis then to take them from. But because we have so much to cram in, in the primary yeah. curriculum, those basics then drop out their heads. So I think I cut some stuff out and then spread it really nicely over the full academic year rather than cramming it in before May. Um, yeah. Just like the other year groups have sort of, not even the luxury of doing so i realize every year group has a lot to fit in but you know there isn't such a deadline in some of the other year groups as as we have in year six so yeah that's what i personally do and we don't oh we don't teach more math and english than is necessary if you see what i mean so we still have quite a broad curriculum so i i just keep doing with what we're doing with that i feel quite happy with that personally but maybe other people listening or other schools would do something with the wider curriculum as well um but that yeah that's my what i would personally do
1: and I really like that because you know we talk. I'm putting my SEN hat back on here, mm-hmm. but you know when you read IEPs or personal profiles, you know the SEN documents for students, whatever schools yeah. can label them as. You on so many of them will see phrases like overlearning, pre-teaching, yeah, um, and actually, would we be able to perhaps reduce and move away from some of that? Not yeah. to say those shouldn't have it if they need it of course not mm. but if they had more time to focus on those basics and as you say I mean I work in secondary and I completely agree we have children coming in and they don't know their times tables they don't mm. know about operations and other things sequential things like telling the time that yeah. season months the days of the week all of that stuff yeah actually is then assumed knowledge and um, that we have to kind of go and, and backfill for them yeah so, yeah, interesting that you've picked up on that. And I wonder, you know, does that sort of resonate with you that actually it might address a lot of what we are seeing and labelling as
4: SEN needs? Yeah, very, quite possibly, actually. And again, it's interesting you say about the telling the time thing. I've taught a few children year six or more than a few who haven't been able to tell the time or other basic things and you just think I have no time to teach you how to tell the time because we're in year six and you should know that by now I know that there is no should but I've got so many other things to teach you I don't know when I'm going to possibly find time to teach you how to tell the time but I would love to teach you how to tell the time because that's a really important life skill so if there was that room in the curriculum or in the timetable even to just fill with those kind of things that are missing and then even imagine to have a luxury to just go off on a tangent to do your own thing and explore what the class are interested in you might be reading a class story and they really want to explore more about xyz but you can't because you've got to teach dividing fractions tomorrow <laughs> but you know if you had a bit more space and you could follow the class's interest a little bit more whilst making sure the fundamentals were there it would just be nice to have a bit more creativity back I think personally yeah, yeah.
1: and you know i i did sort of tag myself into another thread that was um, online the other day where people were talking about um you know if all our decisions if our school life was based on creativity you know what might that look like mm. and again some really interesting things particularly around removing removing sats some people even talking about higher up you know what would happen if we got rid of the way gcse's are taught and structured i mean that was you yeah. know could could be a whole series of shows not just yes absolutely (laughs) but um I'm just wondering as well if we you know apart from the curriculum itself and and what you're teaching day to day um you know we know there were issues with students struggling with anxiety with self-esteem and I just wonder if you think that taking the sats away and you know essentially going back to basics with the curriculum of giving it more time you know would that have an impact
4: on on those kind of issues as
1: well
4: yeah i think i think it would i think there are a lot of other factors that come into play with children's mental health um only because what i find at my current school is we we really don't put any pressure on SATs so i don't find that much of the children's anxiety comes from that there definitely is some especially children that have key gaps in their let's say math knowledge that's quite a common one and this cohort of course missed a large amount of year two and year three because of covid and so Mm. a lot of their basic math knowledge comes from that um so when you're trying to teach them some more complex things and they don't they have those basics missing and you realize you've got to go right back to the beginning that can sometimes stress them out because then when you show them a sats paper to have a go and they realize that a lot of this they just don't have a clue about that definitely causes anxiety and stress. But I do think a lot of that as well is how the school deals with it. Because if you don't make it a big deal, um, then for them, it won't be a big deal. So it's I think it's a lot to do with, yeah, how the school presents that and how the teachers, yeah, say, say to the kids how important it is, And I guess with the yeah. parents as well. But yes, to answer your question, I do think part of part of that, removing the SATs would definitely improve the mental health of some children to some extent.
1: Yeah, and I've just noticed uh comment from um, Paul he's mentioned that he used to like the creative curriculum um, because that gave him the time to inspire children without having lots of thought in schemes yeah so I'm just sort of going back to your point that you mentioned about you know it's really hard to get people to work in year six Um, and we're in the middle of a a recruitment and retention crisis as as on the news regularly Mm. do you you know, the removing SATs would actually go some way to addressing those kind of issues as well.
4: Yeah, I do. I think, I mean, I, I personally am probably really weird. I do quite like having SATs there as a deadline and almost, uh, because I quite I work quite well under pressure. I know what I've got to teach and when I've got to teach it to. But having said that, I know that SATs puts a lot of teachers off going into the year group, mainly I think because of the accountability, because a lot of schools especially I remember asking a while ago on Twitter if uh, some teachers performance related pay and their performance management targets were related to the SATS results and quite a high proportion said yes which I was shocked about because like you say wow I mean you have them for whatever September to May is eight months off the top of my head I'm not sure probably a bit more Um, and the rest of the school have had an input to do with that as well so how on earth could we possibly as year six teachers take the run or celebrate if the results are really good that's not down to us either that's you know a big old team effort so if they were removed and it was just really seen as any other year group three four five six one two it just has its own challenges but one of those challenges isn't a nationwide test that is going to be that's going to have sort of a the school will be labeled by that test for the next year it's a big pressure
1: yeah and i think again it's it's Interest is how people feel so much pressure, and again, going back to something you said earlier on, it's one seventh. I think it's not even that because of the fact that they're taken before the end of the school year, yeah. Um, But the people who are sort of at the end of that chain really feeling that it's all down to them, even though actually their students have been in education for a good proportion of their life by that point, yeah, Yeah, um, so if we didn't have SATs, um, you've touched on the fact that, you know, there is, there is the need to obviously know how students are doing. Would you, would you have anything instead? Or would you go with a sort of teacher assess, just let, you know, each school do their own thing? What are your thoughts
4: there? Yeah, I was toying with that. That's one of the ones I was chatting about <laughs> with my friends earlier, because I'm not sure. I do think they have standardized tests to have a place. Um, and perhaps if we use them, but the we weren't held as accountable by them or they weren't the league ta- they weren't published in league tables that sort of thing that yeah. might be useful to an extent um and then again i'm sure i usually say an idea and then someone tells me the cons of it and i go oh, yeah actually that is a bad idea <laughs> but perhaps something like um local moderation it might look at maths but across the whole school not necessarily just in year six but how maths is going across the whole school but with a group of local schools so you can kind of he- help help each other and hold each other to account um, but maybe in a more of a supportive way um, just because it's such a it's such a snapshot I think I added it up and it was maybe three or four hours of a really narrow part of the curriculum and which has is influenced by so many factors like how the children are feeling on that day even that it can't possibly fairly reflect the curriculum or the the quality of the teaching um, or the school um, so I think yeah they have a place maybe something like them still but definitely other, whatever that other is, to um, help judge how the curriculum is being taught and how what the quality of teaching is like.
1: Yeah. And I wonder actually, that sort of working together with with local schools, I mean, whether they're coming from a similar sort of socio economic background or anything, you know, to your own school, or whether they're completely different, because we all know that, you know, a mile or so down the road can can be a very different area can't it? Yeah. But do you think that that could potentially also support the transition to secondary because we know that at the moment a lot of secondary schools when they get the students they are giving them their own tests CATS tests or you know pre-GCSE papers or whatever it is they're using but actually mm. could, could that process of localised moderation
4: be part of the transition? Yeah possibly um, it's a good idea really and even having like secondary school teachers come in to see what primary schools are doing and vice versa and anything that aids transition is good in my book because I do feel like there's such a big jump socially and well in many different ways going from year six to year seven that sort of it does something to the children doesn't it like I've, I've seen <laughs> tweets of year seven teachers saying why are they asking if they can turn a page like of course you can turn the page I'm thinking oh they would never ask that in year six but it's something about just being in this completely new environment that completely throws them so yeah and anything that would aid that and be more collaborative in local schools, I think would be useful.
1: Yeah. Um Sophie, I'm very mindful of time and you've probably got so much more that we can say, but I know you said you were <laughs> needing to sort out childcare and things this evening. So um just before you go, I just wanted to say a, a massive thank you to you because it's been really lovely talking to you and I oh, love you. your love your ideas. Mm. Um, I've just seen there's a post gone out online about the um, self-proclaimed geek about sats so there you are (laughs) yeah it's, it's out there for the world to know um but i just wondered if you had any other thoughts any sort of closing comments before we let you go and enjoy your evening
4: um i suppose the only other thing i would say is that a, a lot, a pattern that I've heard of a lot is after SATs, people then abandoning maths and English because, yes, we have to cram a lot in before SATs. But then I, I think if people think that they've covered it all, it doesn't necessarily mean it's been learnt. And then not only have you got that six weeks of summer before secondary school, but they've then got from May until September with no necessary, not necessary anyway, um, really good maths and English teaching. So if you do see SATs as a be-all and end-all, well, maybe don't. <laughs> maybe just try like, like continue your really good and English teaching right up until the end of the year as much as possible because those children are about to make a massive jump into secondary school if anything this is when they need the really good teaching and it's not a time to just let up and think I've taught everything but yeah. if anything you know almost go at it harder <laughs> so that they are ready <laughs> for secondary school I suppose that's the only thing I feel that would be relevant to this discussion but thank you so much for having me because I could talk about this for hours and I've really enjoyed <laughs> chatting with you so thank Come you but well, as I say thank you so much for giving up your evening um
1: really do appreciate it You're And never know I may well be in touch again um if you'd like to join me another Absolutely. time be you amazing. You. thank Brilliant. you very much Claire that's all right thank you okay. Sophie and enjoy Thanks. your weekend as well thank you you too <laughs> right. Bye. bye bye Oh, well, that was brilliant hearing from Sophie there and especially someone who's taught in separate year six and year five classes, but also got experience teaching mixed groups and how that's had a real sort of effect on how she's taught students and prepared them for the Sats exams. i um, just going to take a short break now so that we can hear the news and hear from our sponsors once again. Um, and then I'm going to take a little bit of a step back and look at some of the arguments for and against keeping SATs sort of from an external point of view.
2: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohncatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
3: Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel.
5: The mother of murdered schoolgirl Brianna Jai has spoken about the need for positive change and a lasting legacy for her daughter. Mrs Jai visited Westminster as part of her campaign for mindfulness to be taught in all schools in England. She commented on her Peace and Mind UK Facebook page that her focus would be to improve lives by empowering people, giving them the tools to build mental resilience, empathy and self-compassion through mindfulness she went on to say that she hoped to create more understanding for everyone. Mrs Jai has already raised thousands of pounds to deliver mindfulness training in schools in her local area. The Department for Education has said there were no plans to introduce mindfulness, but the RSHE curriculum included a strong focus on mental health and that all schools had been offered grants to train a senior mental health lead by 2025. Mrs Jai has also spoken about the idea for a phone for under 16s to limit access to social media apps. The children's commissioner Dame Rachel D'Souza told the BBC that she supported the ideas and said more could be done to promote phones that are safe by design. She described Mrs Jai's vision as really smart but questioned whether the likes of Google and Apple would create phones with access that is safe by design. PM Rishi Sunak has stated that the new online safety act is robust, but parents told the BBC how difficult it is to take away a smartphone from a child who already has one, whilst others described the pressure from social media as relentless. In Wales, the cap on university tuition fees is rising from £9,000 to £9,250 a year from September. Education Minister Jeremy Miles says he recognises students will be disappointed. A report on the BBC News website says loans will also go up to cover the 2.8% increase, which will affect undergraduate students studying in Wales whose home address is in Wales. Those with a home address in Wales but who study in other parts of the UK are unaffected because they already pay the £9,250 for their studies. Mr Miles blamed sustained inflationary pressure on high education providers in Wales and that the increase was unavoidable, but would help to safeguard provision and investment. The Guardian reported on school finances with an article on findings that almost half of multi-academy trusts in England were in deficit last year. The report by the accountancy network Creston UK was based on studying the accounts of 279 trusts representing over 2,300 schools. It found 47% were running in-year deficits. Rising energy bills and staffing costs were blamed by many and made worse by uncertainty around income streams. School leaders say that schools are constantly asked to do more with less. Last October the Department for Education in England admitted to making a £370 million error meaning mainstream primary and secondary schools will be given at least £50 less for each pupil than original forecasting predicted. This forced school leaders to redraw their budgets for 2024-25. With energy costs still high and a recruitment and retention crisis leading to an increased use of agency staff, I mean that many school leaders are facing further pressure on budgets and many expect a deficit trend to continue. More than 100 school buildings containing dangerous concrete will be rebuilt or refurbished according to a report on the BBC. The Government says all affected schools will receive funding to permanently remove the dangerous concrete known as RAC. Unions say the announcement includes no new money. The 234 schools affected in England have reportedly returned to -to face-to-face learning but many children are still being taught in marquees, portable classrooms or in other off-site locations. Some pupils have not been able to access specialist classrooms for design and technology, as well as science labs and other specialist spaces. The government has been criticised for not making changes to exams for those affected. Finally, a jury in the United States of America has held the mother of a 15-year-old mass shooter criminally responsible for the death of four high school students in 2021. The 15 year old himself was sentenced to life without parole in December. But at the start of February, the male's mother was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. The first time a parent has been convicted of such charges due to their child's role in a mass shooting. The case has raised questions about the accountability of parents although the youth's parents had gifted him the weapon days before the attack. Prosecutors also argued that parents had not paid enough attention to their son's declining mental health. US law generally only holds individuals responsible for their own actions, but this case appears to present some change. The schools where the shooting took place has also faced criticism for not acting swiftly when drawings of guns were found on the mail earlier in the day of the shooting. Whatever the outcome of the sentencing, the case appears to be reinvigorating debate around the issue of parental responsibility alongside individual culpability. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. Okay, hello
1: again. Um, some really interesting points in the news there uh, around accountability. Um, and something Paula can see that you've mentioned there um, that a national set of tests isn't a completely horrid idea. However, the weight and importance that's accorded to them um, by Ofsted, by the government, is horrid. Um, and I completely agree with you where you've said that's where many changes to the system um, need considering. And I think they need considering quite quickly and sort of quite you know quite soon, not something that's left that we talk about for however long we talk about them. Um, Now on the on the flip side, I did actually try and see if I could find some arguments in favour of SATS or at least in favour of having some kind of um, system of measuring the students. Now actually that was quite a challenge, Um, it's quite a struggle to find anything particularly around SATS themselves, quite a bit out there around exams and that yes they are a measure Um, of students. Um, They are a measure of what they know on on that day, you could argue, but they are a measure of what they know to a point. Um, Although I did find an an interesting quote from James Pembroke, who was writing on Sig Plus in 2019, um, and his argument is that standardised tests are extremely useful. Um, They provide an external reference of a pupil's attainment, indicating whether it is below, above, or broadly in line with national average and give an idea of how pupils are progressing with relative to other pupils nationally and he also said they can help us understand what pupils do and don't know whilst providing important test practice and um, they give common meaning to assessment allowing us to more reliably compare the performance of cohorts groups and schools across a range of subjects now i thought that was there was an interesting point sort of buried within there about the important test practice. Um, And again, when I was doing a little bit of research for this show, there was sort of some thoughts around, you know, if we got rid of exams entirely, what would that look like? And in which case, would we even need the test practice if we didn't have that kind of set up for um, giving students qualifications when they get to, to year 11, year 13, and so on. So whilst it is true to a point that testing can show us what pupils know um, you know given the diversity of different communities across the UK how useful is it to extend the idea of testing pupils at a local level at school level or area level um, and checking how this compares to national does it actually have a use and the other thing is it also assumes that there is an average pupil somewhere and I think we all know that, you know, there aren't, there isn't an average pupil, there isn't one person somewhere who is absolutely bang on average everything. Um, Now, I also uh, found an article on the BBC, it was published back in 2010, um, and that said that some schools do actually like the SATS test because they allow the progress of pupils to be measured over time within their own school, and I thought that was um, a good point. Um, we do need to know that our students are making progress. Um, And as as Sophie said, you know, she she isn't against there being some measure of of working that out. It's just how accountable we are for that measure um, and how it is then used. And as she mentioned, it's made public. It's, It's like a lot of the arguments to do with Ofsted gradings at the moment. Those results are made public. Yet we say to the pupils, they're not about you, they're just about the school. But how does that really land? We know that students and parents can perhaps find that message um, a little bit. There's a little bit of conflict there. We're not measuring your student, but we are measuring the school. How does that really work? Um, So I would argue that there's many other ways that we could achieve that concept of measuring progress, measuring attainment over time without the need for the actual SATS exams or... So, you know, some kind of formal testing. Maxine, interesting there. Yeah, tests are OK, but the high stakes are maybe less so. Maybe that's part of the problem. Um, and again, going back to something Sophie said, she teaches year five and six, but she knows there are a lot of student, a lot of staff who don't want to do it. Um, they don't feel that they can. They don't want that pressure, whether that's perceived or real, but it is real for them. Um, So actually, what can we do that's different? Um, And really interesting points raised online about, you know, we could have a much more creative curriculum. We could go back to having much more in the way of music, much more way of art, um, much more time outside, um, all of which I would be quite happy with on a personal level. Um, So if we're looking at, you know, revamping the curriculum and doing something like that, And there are so many arguments for doing that. Do do the SATs actually have any real sort of legitimacy anymore? I mentioned at the beginning, they were introduced because of the Education Reform Act when the national curriculum was brought in. Um, That kind of has, has changed so much over time. We know that schools now have got things like Academy status, they can, you know, think about doing their own curriculum, we're asked to provide a broad and balanced curriculum for the students yet at the same time we're being asked to send them down this track of get your sex exams get that magic 100 Um paul i love that because i know what cartoon you're referring to um of a monkey an elephant a crocodile and a bird and your example of a whale in front of a man who tells them that their exam is to climb the tree and that totally does sum up pupils being put in a test situation um, and actually, are we even testing something that's, that's appropriate for them? So just going back to that, that point of legitimacy really, if SATs were designed to measure pupil progress when every single school was required to follow the exact same curriculum, why are we still doing them? Everything's changed. Sophie talked about the the SATs, she remembered doing them herself when um, there was the level six paper. Um, I remember that as well. So that was right at the beginning of SATs being introduced. Um, We've had science papers, we've not had science papers, we've had writing papers, they've been removed. Um, SPAG has been brought in, Um, phonics checks have been brought in. And something we haven't mentioned yet is that the key stage three tests have gone. Um, gone completely. And has it really made a difference? Probably not. It's not had any adverse impact anyway. Um, And we know that there are so many issues at the moment around workload, um, impact on the mental health of staff and students and families, Um, you know, families who are supporting their students who, uh, again, as Sophie said, some of the students put a lot of pressure on themselves um, to get that 100 or to get whatever grade it is that they want. Um, Some of the families are paying for tutoring to help their children pass the SATs. I suppose if it's, you know, the the side effect or the the secondary effect of that is that the students perhaps feeling more confident about the subject in general. I don't think anybody could argue that 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 was a bad thing. Um, But if we're doing it with the sole purpose of of passing a SATs exam, um, do we we really need to be putting that amount of, of pressure on the students? So just, again, reading some of the thoughts that have come in, um, and a couple of people interested me, messaging me on um, Twitter or X, and saying that they didn't want their their name to be mentioned, um, but really some quite strong thoughts on, no, I don't want SATs in my school. Um, I would love to be able to take the children outside. I'd love to be able to go and play in the rain, and I just can't do those things. You know, If it snows, I want to be able to go out and do science experiments in the snow, but... I can't because I have to get all of these things covered so that they're as ready as they can be for the SATs. So, again, I just wonder—you know—when we're talking about mental health and well-being as such a priority, um, are we really creating the conditions for our students to have those positive experiences that we know will be beneficial to their well-being? If we're, you know, forcing them to sit in the classroom and to have this diet of math, English, literacy, numeracy, um, and that, as we said, a couple of people messaging in, thank you if you have, you know, around those high stakes. Um, So, going back to one of my questions from earlier on, we've heard what the arguments for, we've heard arguments against, should we keep SATS? What has happened when we haven't? So, Back in 2008, and I would say that's before conversations about mental health and wellbeing, before the issues around recruitment and retention of staff, um, before attendance issues perhaps became the the key issues that they are today. Now, 2008, the government decided to abolish key stage three SATs, citing concerns around pervasive anxiety. Now, I think that's interesting from, from several perspectives, really, because key stage three, your students age around 13 or 14. um, I guess it could be reasonable to expect or assume that at that age, most of them are more emotionally mature um, than they are when they're year six and back in when they're year two as well. And therefore, if they are 13, 14, that they should be better equipped to cope with taking exams in terms of the potential emotional impact that could have. Of course, that's along with support from their schools and families, too. Yet we've got rid of those, um, but we haven't done anything about SATs for the younger age groups. So I started doing a little bit of thinking about what's happened since we got rid of those SATs. Um, For for secondary schools, predominantly, um, where I live in Bedfordshire, there is still the three-tier system. So if they were still to be taken, that would be in year nine. That's the first year of upper school. But for most students, that would be their third year in secondary school or high school. Um, And actually, some schools do have alternatives. Um, They use end-of-year exams. Some may be using GSSEs. But many aren't testing formally in year nine. They're just doing preparation work for... For GCSE, so does it matter that we don't have SATs in key stage three? Um, no, I don't think it does. If you've got any thoughts on that, please do text in, particularly if you remember teaching them or you remember supporting students through them. Um, and obviously, then going back to, to COVID, um, nobody did the test, it didn't matter what key stage you were in. Um, and students, some of them, you know, that was that COVID time was when they had their transition to secondary school. Um, and i have not managed to find a single report saying that secondary schools had any problems because they didn't receive sats data Um, and also despite the the restrictions that were in place at that time um, with the primary schools not having to offer the sats many of them said that even though those restrictions were in place they were able to offer essentially what we would call a broader curriculum. They were able to do more creative things. They were able to spend more time making music, doing art projects, and, and all the things that perhaps we associate with, with childhood. Um, even though we were trying to you know, keep people safe and obviously follow all of the government guidance at the time. Um, Maxine, no, Keystone 3SAT's definitely not missed. Um, and your point there about accountability measure for, for primary schools, I would say that's just for their own use, um, not necessarily for publicising, not necessarily for comparing, but just just helping them um, understand their own pupils and the progress that, that they've made. Um, so, yeah, some some really good points there. And, I mean, I did, I love Sophie's phrase when I said to her, what would you do? Um, if we didn't have Sats, what would you do instead? And he started off by saying, "Chop grammar out um, straight away," and referenced actually the the link to the secondary school curriculum, linked to the fact that actually there's some of the content that's being taught in Year Six around around tenses and grammar structures aren't being picked up until top end GCSE and possibly even A level. So why? Why are we asking our students at the age of 11 years old to be able to do things that they're perhaps not going to come across again, if at all, until they're 15, 16, 17? It um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, I have to say. We're getting lots of messages coming in here, so I'm just going to have a little look through. Um, Paul, my daughter missed her SATs due to COVID. Her school passed on detailed teach assessment, but the high school ignored it. Oh, no. Um, and did their own tests anyway. Why doesn't this happen instead of SATs, anyway? Yeah, I think you know, linking in with some of the comments there from Sophie and also what Maxine said. You know, do do we need to be testing them? Um, why can't we just have those bits of information passed across to the secondary schools, and then let them get to know the students and let them you know carry on their education in their own way? Just think that would do so much for the transition process, so much for getting teachers keen to teach year six. Um, And wouldn't it be nice if, you know, those teachers who at the moment, perhaps feel more confident teaching key stage one and lower key stage two, and really have that understanding of how to teach phonics, you know, right from the beginning, what if they were able to teach year five and six, and feel that they didn't have that you know, pressure of accountability, pressure of judgment, you know, how they could use that knowledge to really give those year fives and sixes an absolute solid understanding of the basic concepts that they could take with them, you know, when they went to secondary school and, and obviously then as they go through school into GCSE years, that would just be amazing if that was possible. Um, really think that would go a long way. Um, to supporting some of the issues that commonly come up at transition. Now, as, as Sophie said, she and I could probably have talked about this all night, um, probably done a whole series of shows on, on SATs and exams and curriculums and everything else. Um, but I do need to just sort of start pulling things together for a bit of a conclusion. I'm going to do that after a quick break to hear again from our sponsors.
2: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohnCatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
3: Introducing Eton X from Eton College. A diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication, and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include Verbal Communication, Critical Thinking, Writing Skills, Resilience, Creative Problem Solving and many more. Offer the Eton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more.
1: Okay, thank you again to our sponsors there for supporting Teachers Talk Radio. Um, Just before I go back to to SATs to sort of summarise things, did you know, um, Teachers Talk Radio shows do become a podcast after the live show. Um, So if you have a look on the various podcast apps and search Teachers Talk Radio, um, we should come up. You'll be able to find this show and lots of previous ones. Um, We also have lots of live shows every day next week. So please do have a look. There's a whole range of different topics coming up um, in the next couple of days. So... Anyway, back to SATS for a few uh, final thoughts. Um, They were introduced as part of the education reforms in the early 90s. I have to just say that it's a good era for music. I am very much into my Britpop. Um, But they were a way to assess the impact of the new national curriculum, um, measuring pupils, measuring schools. And we've heard a lot of arguments this evening that actually that original purpose is, is sort of gone, um, and SATs, to be honest, seem to lack quite a lot of legitimacy. Schools have changed, pupil cohorts have changed, and we know there's many alternative ways of measuring progress. And I think one thing that, you know, is is so important, this conversation that is, is going on at the moment about wellbeing and the holistic development of our young people, that has got to be, you know, the absolute priority. That's so important that you know, we look after them, and and those things aren't measured by tests. Um, you know, let let's let's start thinking wider than just English and maths. Um, we also know that you know, scrapping the Key Stage three tests has not had any kind of adverse impact on the students. Um, lots of comments this evening. Thank you if you have contributed. Um, you know, about examples where students have missed the test because of COVID and actually the high schools the secondary schools they they just crack on and they do their own thing anyway they'll make make baseline tests they'll they'll do some kind of you know method of establishing where the students are at so i'm going to say in summary i think it's pretty clear um that sats have had their day and you know sophie it was great to hear from her and her thoughts she very much in favor of getting rid of them having something that is more specific to the school. I really liked her idea about having localised sort of standardisation and also potentially using that to feed into the transition process. Um, I'd really love to see how primary schools could use that time gained and some great examples about how they could get outside more, be more creative um, and just do those things that, you know, help kids be kids. and and really, I think that would go a long way. Um, by no means the only solution, or or the only way of resolving it, but a long way towards the recruitment and retention of staff, a long way towards supportive well-being, and that that's the whole community, I think, at school. You know, that's the students, the staff, the families, and um, and and that phrase that that Sophie used, you, you know, chop the grammar out. There's so many things that could be chopped out. Um, And that that level of accountability, I think that could be chopped out if we're going to use that phrase too, Um, just to to take that pressure off and and let people kind of get on with the job and, you know, enjoy teaching again. Because it's really clear that there are some quite significant issues there. So let's let's say we are going to go with get rid of SAPS, have some way of schools working together, supporting each other, holding each other to account. And as Sophie put it right at the end, absolutely crucially, supporting one another, um, not using it to kind of beat each other over the head and say who's better than who. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox about um, SATs. I have been doing a little bit of a feature at the end of each of my shows, which is a well-being word for the weekend. So following on from this idea of of getting rid of the sats and and what that could do, I've gone with the word freedom. Um, So I'm just inviting you this weekend and if it's half term for you, um, you've got a week, if you've just finished half term, perhaps one for um, the Easter holiday which will be soon with us, um, what would you do if you had absolute freedom? Um, I wonder if you could find some time this weekend to think about that, what would you do if you were Completely free to choose, um, not constrained by your job, your house, any other responsibilities, the things you might have. Um, I know for me, um, and you, if you listen regularly, you'll get to know this. I I love being outside. I love being with my dogs. So for me, my complete freedom would be heading off, exploring new places. Um, I love going to places like the Hebrides or Orkney. I can't go there every weekend as much as I'd like to. So I do just try and get my little dose of freedom by heading outside, exploring somewhere new, drive half an hour away. It's surprising how many new places you can find if you just take a little bit of time to go away from your immediate doorstep. Um, And do you know, if I had complete freedom and I never had to go back to work, if only, um, I think I would travel the world. I wouldn't just stay limited to the uk so there you are what what would you be doing if you had absolute freedom and that can be with your curriculum because you've had the freedom to get rid of sats it could be freedom to do whatever you like but whatever it is i invite you to spend a little bit of time this weekend dreaming um, and perhaps doing you know what would you do if you could be absolutely free um thank you very much for joining me this evening and thank you again to Sophie because it was brilliant to have her and hear her ideas I hope you will join me again soon good night
0: you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio